Hey you. Yeah. You. You didn't stumble here by chance, so let's talk. My name is Tyann, but a lot of people call me Taj, and I'm most known for my loud New York personality and my unfiltered opinions. The Melanated Mindset is a safe space for unpopular opinions and heated debates amongst a diverse melting pot of those of us that classify as a melanated millennial. And I don't care if you got a lot of melanin, just a little bit of melanin, or hell, you just melanated by association. Everybody is welcome. Now, I can't speak for y'all, but after seeing what being an adult is really about, nah, I got some things to say. And I know y'all do too. So let's talk about it, because what's really going on? What is up, y'all? For those of you guys that are new, welcome. For those of you that aren't, welcome back to the Melanated Mindset. Y'all know, y'all should be in the groove of things by now. I'm going to start off with my complaint of the week. And that is going to be the fact that my son, who is almost one, is now cutting his ninth tooth. Yes. Not one, not two. Not seven, not eight. But his ninth tooth. And I just think that that is absolutely ridiculous. I don't know anybody else who has an almost one-year-old, we're just going to call him one, with that many teeth. I know one-year-olds that don't have any teeth, yet alone from mine, to have almost nine. So that should let you guys know what kind of days and nights we've been having here in the Watson household. It's not been fun, but the storm is almost over. And, like last week, I don't want to just be a negative Nancy, so I'm not just going to complain, because y'all know it's Monday, and we all got something to complain about. But I also want to highlight something from this week. So my highlight of the week is probably going to be the fact that we have a pretty good idea. It's not completely 100% set in stone, but we pretty much have a really good idea of where we are going to be moving to next. And that is literally music to any military couple's ears. Once you finally know where you're going, once it's 100% official, I can officially get the ball rolling, start packing us up, and get ready to move back stateside. Because I miss America. I do. Malik and I, by the time we get back at the end of the year, we have not lived in the continental U.S. in six years. We were in North Carolina, and then we did three years in Hawaii. Yes, I know Hawaii is a state. That's why I said continental U.S. But that, it didn't feel like a state. It didn't feel nothing like a state. I mean, there were stores that were in the states, but it didn't feel like a state, and y'all gotta understand what I mean by that. And then we were here in Italy for three years, So it's been six years since we lived in the States. Last time I lived in the States, I wasn't even 21. I wasn't old enough to drink. I wasn't old enough to party. I wasn't able to do anything. Because not only have I been in Europe, but I've been inside. So I'm ready to get back not only just to America so I can have the convenience of stores and stuff. But America is open. And I plan to be out. Respectfully, but I plan to be out. Okay, let's let's be honest. I'm ready to get back to America yesterday. But that is going to be my highlight of the week. I hope you guys had something 
that was the highlight of your week. And with that, we're going to get right into our Fendi fact of the day. Today's Fendi fact comes from an article that was published by Harvard Public Health with data sourced directly from the CDC website. Did you guys know that the rate of maternal mortality in the U.S. is climbing at an extremely alarming rate? In fact, that rate is actually substantially higher amongst black women. Between the years of 2011 and 2014, the pregnancy-related mortality ratios for every 100,000 pregnant women were 40% black women, about 18% were women of other races, and 12.5% were Caucasian women. With that being said, I'm going to offer another trigger warning like I did last week. So if the topic of pregnancy or maternal mortality or infertility, any of those things are a trigger for you, this might not be the episode that you want to jump right into, but I do hope you come back and listen to it. And I hope you can take something away from my personal experience and my story. And for those of you that don't know what my story is, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, one, you should, because I think it was pretty good. And I opened up about my struggles to get pregnant and me being diagnosed with PCOS and et cetera. If you want an in-depth story and recap of that, go back, listen to episode two, and then come back to this one, because this episode is actually going to be my birthing story. Again, let me let it be known and let me put a disclaimer out there. Most of you guys listening know that I do not live in America and that I live in Italy. So my birthing experience is off the rip, already going to be different from one, what I thought it was going to be, and everybody else's. So let me just put that in there and let's keep that in the back of our heads because I have to keep telling myself, like, Tyanne, you are not in America. This is not in America. Granted, I can't say whether or not my story would have turned out exactly the same if I would have given birth in the States, but I just know this is how it turned out with me not giving birth in the States. So I guess we can start about midway through my pregnancy. Me and Malik were actually able to fly home to New York to surprise everyone and announce our pregnancy and find out the gender, and literally, we were in New York when I turned 20 weeks, so literally halfway through my pregnancy when I came back to Italy. So let's talk about when I came back. I came back to Italy January 15th, 2020. I know, right? I had no idea what was coming. Here I am, fresh off the plane, fresh from being home, seeing all my family. And it was just the strength I needed to get through the second half of my pregnancy. And then the pandemic happened. And everything slowly started to go downhill from there as far as my birthing plan. And I told myself I wasn't going to actually have a birthing plan, but I knew how I wanted it to go in my head. I knew I wanted to give birth naturally, wanted to do it with no medication, and Malik was completely on board. He was supportive. And, you know, we we were in this. We had our head on straight. We were focused. We knew it was more mental than it was physical. But we could not anticipate the pandemic that was to come. So, with that being said, let's fast forward to the end of my pregnancy now. 
And here in Italy, it, they inducing you is not even a conversation they have until you have made it to your due date. Induction does not become a topic of conversation until after 40 weeks. I actually was overdue. And if you go past your due date, they schedule an appointment for you about three days after your due date for them to come in and start talking induction options. So that's what happened. My due date came and went May 17th, which was, I think, on a Saturday. And then that Tuesday was the three days after when I had my doctor's appointment. So I went into the doctor. They were doing a routine checkup. They did an ultrasound, and they actually found out that my amniotic fluid was low. So I actually ended up getting admitted right then and there. I didn't even get to go back home. Malik had to go home and get my things. Remember, I gave birth in the height of the pandemic, May 2020. So dads were not allowed more than an hour for visitation. Malik could literally only see me from five to six. Again, this is what was happening in Italy. The pandemic got really, really bad here. So these were just the unfortunate cards we were dealt. So they admitted me straight from my doctor's appointment. They ended up keeping me in like what I can consider the pregnancy ER where they ran a bunch of tests, had me hooked up to a bunch of fetal monitors, pretty much just busy work until I guess they could find me a bed or a room or whatever have you. Let me also note that because I am in Italy and obviously I don't speak fluent Italian, the army does have someone that's called a patient liaison that works at the hospital. They're pretty much your translator. If you have any questions or any problems, you talk to the liaison, the liaison talks to the doctor, they translate back and forth. They're literally the translator for you, your advocate, because we're American, right? So they ended up eventually putting me in a room after taking me out of their version of the pregnancy ER. And again, because I'm not in America, I didn't get to labor in my own room. I actually had to share a room with an Italian woman who had just gotten out of her C-section. So it is me, this Italian woman that speaks no English, who has been freshly cut, and her newborn baby in this hospital room. And I'm just like, okay, sure, whatever. So I'm in there for hours until visiting time comes. Visiting time comes, Malik comes, and they actually, the nurse comes and get me and tells me that they want me downstairs and that Malik can take me with him, like Malik can come with me. So we go downstairs and they tell me they're going to induce me. They're actually going to insert some type of gauze and that that should start things rolling. So that's what they do. Me and Malik go back upstairs, enjoy the last little bit of our hour. Then the nurse comes back and say they want to see me downstairs again. This is towards the end of Malik leaving. So I asked, you know, is it okay if my husband walks me down there? She was like, yeah, sure. So my Malik walks me down there. And the patient liaison is waiting for us outside the double doors. And I was going to go in. And she was, just, I don't know what made her tell Malik, just stay right there. Like, don't, don't go anywhere just yet. And he was like, okay. So he just stood outside the double doors. They took me in to see how dilated I was. And I believe I was at like three or four centimeters. And I was like, holy crap. Like, oh, okay, cool. And we came back out and she was like, and we were just like, okay, what now? And she was just telling Malik like, okay, go home, get your things and come back. And he was like, come back, visit an hour. Yeah, visiting hour. Can't even call it visiting hours. Visiting hour is is over. I have to come back tomorrow. She's like, tomorrow? No, we're having this baby tonight. 
And I think that's when it really hit us like, holy shit, we are about to have a baby like today. Oh, okay. Like I'm already overdue and I was waiting, but all right, this is happening. Mind you guys, I am giving birth before the end of Ramadan. For those of you guys that don't know what Ramadan is, it's the period of fasting for people that belong to the Nation of Islam. So Malik was literally in the middle of fasting. My doctor's appointment that morning was at like 9 a.m. So obviously the sun is already up. So he hasn't eaten. It's now like 5, 6 o'clock. Sun's about to go down. He's starving. He's like, well, can I go home and eat first? And she's like, yeah, go home, eat, get your stuff, and then come back. That's exactly what he does. By the time he comes back, they have already put me in my labor and delivery room. I'm in the gown. And y'all, I was so mad because I requested for the room with the whirlpool, like the water pool, so I could have like water birth or at least labor in the water. And apparently, like they only have one room with a tub here at the hospital and like you're not guaranteed to get it. So I got it and I was hype. But two weeks before this, when I was about 38, 39 weeks, you have to do something called a GBS swab. FYI, for those of you who have not had a baby, it's not just a vaginal swab. They do an anal swab too. Yeah, nobody told me about that, but they do. It's very uncomfortable at 38 weeks pregnant, but whatever. Whatever that swab was came back positive, so it meant that I needed an IV during labor and delivery. I don't know. But because I had to have that IV throughout my entire laboring and delivery, they told me that that meant that I couldn't get in the pool. I Again, I don't know if that's true in the States. I gave birth here, but that's just what they told me, so whatever. So here I am. The contractions start flowing. Malik's in there. We're chilling. I'm mad as hell looking at this tub I can't get in. But, you know, we got the lights down on. We got the music. And, you know, everything's just kind of going how it's supposed to go. I'm riding through the contractions, y'all. Like, I'm doing way better than I thought I would. But then also important to note here in Italy, you don't meet, you don't know the doctor that's delivering your baby. Like in the States, I'm sure you get to choose your doctor. You meet with that same doctor throughout your pregnancy. No, that's not what happens here. Whatever doctor, whatever nurses are scheduled for the day that you're giving birth, those are, that is your doctor. That's your OBGYN. Like that, that is who delivers your baby. So I had never met the doctor, never met the nurse. Mind you, the nurse on duty this night was a male nurse, which I normally wouldn't have a problem. Like, y'all, I was trying to get this baby out. I was not worried about what male nurse was about to see me bust open on this table. However, I don't know if it's just because I didn't really know what a cervical check was or the fact that he was just a man and was super rough, but I could not take those cervical checks. I I wasn't anticipating having a grown man literally shove two fingers as far as he possibly can all while I'm in the middle of contractions it just became so intense and so overwhelming like I was in excruciating pain every time he would come check me and it's like the pain would linger and then the contractions would come and I'd be like okay this is like the contractions were a relief from the cervical checks for me and I just thought that that was so weird I thought the contractions were supposed to have me you know, crying and bent over. No, it was the cervical checks to the point where I think the last one, Malik literally had to step in and be like, hey, excuse me, like, can you be a little more gentle? She is in excruciating pain. She's in more pain when you come in and do these than she is when you leave. And obviously language barrier. 
So the he has to get the patient liaison who is doing her rounds. I'm obviously not the only American patient in the hospital. And it's now like 10, 11 o'clock at night. So she's doing her rounds, making sure she sees everybody. So we have to wait for her to come back in. And like when I when she came back in, for some reason, he ended up doing another good cervical check. And I just couldn't take it, y'all. And I tapped out and I asked for an epidural. And I was so, I remember being so mad at myself. So sad. Like, damn, girl, you couldn't even hold out. But I was, I mentally prepared myself for the contractions. I knew that they would come. I knew that they would go. I kind of sort of knew what to expect because I was, I had a little bit of Braxton Hicks towards the end of my pregnancy, but like the cervical checks were just not pain. I was anticipating, not pain that my Virgo brain calculated into the equation. So I just could not take it. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I broke down and I asked for an epidural. Here in Italy, they issue what's called a walking epidural, where apparently they don't numb you all the way, but you don't feel pain. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm just telling y'all literally the information that pregnant me got from the doctors. So I asked for the epidural. They gave me the epidural, and I was feeling much better. Until, like what normally happens when you get an epidural, after you usually get an epidural or after you've been induced, usually they say once you start intervening, you're just going to need intervention after intervention after intervention. Because I was induced, my body wasn't going into labor naturally. This was them forcing my body to go into labor. So obviously things go wrong. So eventually Xavier's heart rate started dropping and it just couldn't be detected from the monitor. And this was going on for about a good 10, 15 minutes. And I had already knew, like, once I seen how many times he had to come in and check the monitor, because every time Xavier's heartbeat was dropped, the monitor would start beeping and the nurse would come in. I already knew what was coming. Mind y'all, now it's like one something in the morning. Malik is passed out in his scrubs. And I'm just like, I was thugging through it. The epidural helped the contractions and the cervical checks, but the worrying, just constantly staring at the monitor, watching his heart rate drop. I I taught myself how to read the monitor after being there for like an hour. So I knew when it was dropping. And mind you, the liaison had left again. So she, the nurse ended up calling the liaison. And once I seen her come back in the room and I seen the nurse whisper to her, I already knew what was coming. So when she came over and told us, we're probably going to have to do an emergency C-section. I was just, I just felt so defeated because this wasn't my plan. This is not what I wanted. This is 100% what I was trying to avoid. But at this point, y'all know all that I went through to get pregnant. Then here I get pregnant. I am millions of miles away from my family. It's just me and my husband. Pandemic happens. Like, what has gone right? Why did I think that my labor and delivery would be a walk in the park? So she was like, you know, he's not in distress right now, but we can wait a little bit if you want to try to do it naturally and see what happens. And y'all, I was over it. I wanted him out now. I was over being pregnant. I'm overdue. I have given getting this child earth side everything I have. And I'm not about to sit here on a high horse with my pride and risk something happening to my baby for the sake of me saying that I had him naturally. Prep the OR, let's fucking go. I'm ready to get him out now. So that's what they did. They started preparing me for a C-section. 
And another thing to note is in Italy, but even before the pandemic, fathers were not allowed in the operating room if you were having a C-section. So another thing that went through my mind was, damn, we did all of this. We've been through all these trials and tribulations. This has literally been a journey for us. And I don't even get to hold my husband's hand when my son gets brought into this world. I got to do it by myself. And he doesn't get to see this moment. You know, we both fought. We begged. We pleaded. We prayed. We did everything we could to get here. And the joy of it, of the first couple seconds of us becoming parents together was robbed. It was literally snatched from us. But at the same time, I just wanted my son here. I just wanted to make it out alive on the other side and my son to make it out alive on the other side. And that is what took precedence. So they roll me into the the OR and they tell me that Malik is somewhere down the hall. I don't know, y'all. They strap me to this cold-ass table. It literally was like a scene from Grey's Anatomy. I'm just staring up at the light in this OR with these Italian doctors that speak no English. And then the patient liaison walks in. She was a lady and she scrubs in and she's like, I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to be here the whole time. And she's sitting up at my shoulder, literally where the dad's supposed to be sitting. And I'm like... Okay, I don't know nothing about this lady, but we're the only two women in the room, and she's the only person that speaks English, so this is what I got. I just got to deal with it. And she's, like, talking me through it, like, okay, you know, they're cleaning the area. They're about to make the incision. And she warned me, like, you're not going to feel pain, but you're going to feel them pulling and tugging. And I'm like, what? And as soon as she said that, I started feeling the pulling and tugging. I was like, oh, whoa, like, you think you're numb because you're not feeling pain, but, like, you can feel them digging around inside of you. And it it was it was crazy. And I guess me being quiet, she realized I was probably in my head. So she's just talking to me like, oh, what are you going to name him? And where are you from? And I think it was at that moment that I'm like, wow, this is totally not the experience I was anticipating. Like this woman knows nothing about me. She doesn't know my story. She doesn't know my history. She doesn't know anything but this is the person that I have to share literally the most precious, most intimate moment with my life. This, I have to share it with her. So I didn't feel like talking to her. I just wanted it to be done, but I realized she was trying to distract me and I needed it. So I'm just engaging with her, just literally chit-chatting, talking to this woman while they cut me open and get my baby out. She's like, they're about to pull him out. And then they pull him out. She's like, he's out. And the first thing that I ask is, what time is it? she was like, it's 3 o'clock. And I was like, no, what time is it on the dot? She was like, it's 3 a.m. on the dot, exactly. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. And then, like, I guess that left my mind really quick because I realized then that the room was quiet. And I was like, why isn't he crying? What's wrong? Why isn't he crying? And she's like, well, they're just cleaning him up, da 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 Mind you, this entire time that they were cutting me open, the Italian doctors are sta- literally standing over my open body Kikiing, laughing, having a whole conversation in full blown Italian. Mind you, I'm just staring up at this bright light, and it's so bright that I can't even really see anything else around me. Everything else looks dark because I'm just staring at this light. So I can't even really see the liaison at my shoulder, but I can hear her. And she's like, they're just cleaning him up. And I'm like, yeah, but okay, why don't why don't I hear him crying? And it's like as soon as my heart I felt my heart start racing, he started crying. And I remember her pulling her mask down and whispering in my ear, you spent your last solo quiet moments worrying about 
your baby. Welcome to motherhood. And I will never forget that because she absolutely right because the kid ain't stopped talking and ain't been quiet since. But she was just like, do you want to see him? And I was like, yeah, uh, duh. So the, the nurse brings him over and she's just literally holding him up. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Y'all, he looked like a blob. He still had stuff all over him. I couldn't tell who he looked like. His eyes was closed. I'm just like, okay. I just needed to do a quick physical scan. Two arms, two legs. I think I counted toes and fingers. Like, it, it, he looked okay from the far distance. And I was just like, okay. And she was like, well, we're going to clean him up. And then the nurse is going to take him to your husband. Mind you guys, this hospital, is this is the basic of hospitals. Think of any hospital you know in the States back in the 90s. So all I started thinking was, yo, there were no metal detectors or nothing when I walked in this hospital. Mind y'all, this hospital don't even have AC. So technology is not savvy. I know in the States they have the little trackers and stuff. I think they put on the mom and the baby so nobody could just walk out with your baby. And all I kept thinking was, this nurse can walk out of this OR with my baby and I could never see him again. And I guess the liaison could just read my face and she was like, I am going to personally escort the nurse to your husband. I promise. I'll be right back. And I'm like, okay, because y'all, what more do I have to go on besides this woman's word? And come to find out, actually, our Italian landlords that own our condo that we live in, they actually know her. She's actually a really close friend to our landlord. So it was just, it was the little piece of hope that I needed in that situation. The little piece of familiar familiarity. I don't know if that's a word, but y'all know what I mean. She was literally the the only person in the room that one understood me and was even trying to console me and keep me up to date with what was happening so they left the doctors closed me up and then they just walked out y'all left me strapped to this goddamn table staring up at this goddamn light and I'm just like wow and I remember being so scared like I'm literally in this operating room in Italy, in the middle of a pandemic, by myself. I don't know where my husband is. don't know where my baby is. Like, I don't know anything. And then she came back. I heard the little automatic doors open to the OR. And she was like, it's me. I'm with the nurse, and we're going to roll you to your husband. Your husband has the baby. He has your mom on the phone. And, y'all, as soon as she said that, I felt so relieved. Like, one, not only does my husband actually have possession of our baby, but to hear that my mom was on the phone, it was just... The closest thing to my birth plan I could imagine because never in my wildest nightmare that I'd ever think I would have to bring my baby into this world. My baby that I fought so hard for, tried so hard for, that I would have to do it, one, without my husband, but two, without my mom. And I know everybody has, a, you know, everybody argues with their mom and don't get me wrong, I do, but I always knew that my mom would be on the other side of me in that delivery room. Malik would be on one leg. My mom would be on the other leg. Because my mom's the only other person that I that I know and trust that, to get me through that, you know? So to hear that she was on the phone, it was almost like hearing she was in the other room. And I was just so relieved. So they rolled me down the, room, down the hallway to the room that Malik was in. And they didn't even, like, put the bed where the bed goes. They just rolled me into a room, and they were like, we're going to give you guys some time alone. Just walked out, just, like, left me at the doorway on this bed, attached to all this stuff. And Malik was all scrubbed up, and he had my mom on FaceTime and Xavier in his hand. And he was just like, babe, we did it. He's here. 
and like to hear him, to see Zavi, Malik, to see my mom on FaceTime, it was just the confirmation I needed. And at that moment, y'all, all of the drugs started hitting me because I felt like I was slowly, slowly fading away. I, rem- I My mom was talking to me, but I don't remember what she was saying. And I remember Malik being like, babe, do you want to take a picture with him? And I was like, mm-hmm. And he just helped me kind of roll to the side a little bit and just put Xavier in my arms and took a picture. And y'all, that is probably the ugliest damn picture I have ever taken. I was symboling. I just look a mess. I got this hospital gown on. Xavier just red and swollen. Mind you guys, I got all the way up to eight centimeters before I asked for the epidural. And at eight centimeters, he actually got stuck. I wasn't dilating anymore. So he literally got stuck in the birth canal. So I remember when she took them out, when they pulled him out, I remember the liaison saying like, okay, don't just remember, you know, he was stuck. So his head is kind of like a cone, but it'll go away in 24, 48 hours. So yeah, my baby got this cone head. Mommy is swollen and looking drugged up. That picture look a mess. Okay. But I'm so glad he took it because it's the first picture that I have with him and it's the first time that I got to hold him in my arms and I'm so glad that he took that picture and later on at some point they ended up coming to get me leaving Malik with Zavi I don't know what happened to Malik I don't know what happened to Zavi but they rolled me down the hall and next thing I knew it was black I opened my eyes again I was in the elevator then it went black Open my eyes again, I was in a hospital room, like in my own room this time. The bed was where it goes, and the nurse was literally, had her back turned about to walk out. And I was like, scusa, scusa, like asking her, did she speak English? And she was like, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. And I'm like, where is, where is my baby? And she was like, no, it's okay, we got to give him some shots and run some tests. You rest, you rest, you rest. You know how people be when they don't speak English, they just, you know, keep repeating the one word that they know. So she was just like, rest, rest, rest. And that's all she had to say. I didn't even have any energy to fight, to ask any more questions. My eyes literally closed right then and there once I heard the word rest. Next thing I knew, I opened my eyes again. The sun was coming up. And I looked over and Xavi was in, y'all know that little clear bassinet that they have in the hospital when you give birth with the little name card. And he just propped up, knocked out. And I'm looking around the room and there's nobody to my left, nobody to my right. It is just me and him in this room and I looked to the nightstand and it had all my stuff on it so I reach as far as I can for my phone and I look at the time and it's like seven o'clock in the morning I'm like oh my god I haven't even been out that long like this is still the same day remember y'all visiting hours aren't visiting hour excuse me isn't until 5 p.m so I'm like damn my husband's at home he just became a dad and he is sitting at home probably on the damn game and, you know, like, he he's missing all of this. And what the hell am I supposed to do with this baby until 5 o'clock? Like, y'all, I was so scared. I ended up uh, pushing the nurse's button, calling for the nurse. They came in to just ask me how I'm doing. Some said that somebody was going to come in and check my incision, blah, 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 blah. And that was, that was it. Then they left. And, y'all, I spent the majority of that day alone in that room with Zadie. I didn't get any help. When I got out of the bed for the first time, they had like one of those bars above the bed, like for you to help yourself. She pretty much showed me how to do it, but didn't help me out. I had to, I walked by myself. Mind you guys, I had a C-section and 
I was in a room by myself and the nurses, there's only but two or three at the time at that early in the morning. So I literally, it was just me and Xavi in a room by myself. Malik had brought my stuff and the nurse brought it in to like, I'm trying to get to my suitcase to get my stuff, to get Xavi's clothes. Like I just did it all by myself, literally like a little old lady hunched over, inching, inching, walking by myself. And that's literally how my first day as a mom went. And we just thugged it out until Malik came at five. Then Malik came. He got to be with me for an hour. And that's literally, that's how it was. And when you have an emergency C-section here in Italy, you actually have to stay in the hospital for five days minimum. Five days. So for the first three days... It was literally just me and Xavi in that room. The nurses came in to check on me every couple of hours, take him for any test he needed. Mind you guys, in Italy, they also don't, they are not big on narcotic medication. So after an emergency C-section, the only medication I was offered was Tylenol. That is the only thing they were willing to give me was 800 milligrams of Tylenol. And I took the first one because I'm like, okay, that's going to help. But then, y'all, it wasn't doing nothing. And I was like, you know what? If this is as strong as the medicine y'all going to give me, I don't even need it. Keep your Tylenol. Save it for somebody that needs it. So after that first day, I never took another Tylenol. I literally recovered from a C-section with no pain management medication at all. Dug that shit out. Okay, kudos to me because that shit was hard. Literally, if you cough, if you sneeze, if you laugh, you don't understand how much ab muscles you use on a daily basis until you have to cough and you literally feel like you're going to bust your insides wide open because you have these stitches and you can't cough. And it's just, y'all, it was it was rough. I didn't have any help going to the bathroom for the first time. I had to do that all on my own. Literally, I had to just inch my way in there, wheel Xavier in the bathroom with me, and take five minutes to sit on the toilet, take 20 minutes to stand up off the toilet. Y'all don't understand how much it is of a luxury to be able to bend over and wipe yourself until you have stitches and you can't literally bend over to wipe yourself. It was, it was so rough. Mind you, the first three days, I told you guys I was just in a room by myself. Malik only got to visit us for one hour. All, every every one of those days. And then on the fourth day, y'all, I got a roommate because that's just what happens here. You're not guaranteed to have a room to yourself. And my roommate, I will say, was a Caucasian girl who had just given birth as well, American girl. But she gave birth vaginally. She had one stitch. I believe she tore. She had to get one stitch. And it was um, it was crazy insane to just watch how the nurses gawked and helped her she got help out of the bed she got the very first time she went to the bathroom y'all three nurses helped her pee and she had a vaginal delivery yes she tore she had one stitch I had a c-section and I had to use the bathroom by myself I had to wait until my third day second or third day while Malik was there for me to be able to take a shower. Malik had to help me take a shower for the first time. 
She got help with all of that. And it was just crazy. Mind you guys, the first three days when I was in that room by myself, they were just bringing my food. And it was a bottle of water and like this, these little balls floating in water. Remember y'all, Italy. It was some Italian shit. But it was pretty much, imagine soup with like little teeny teeny like y'all know what dipping dots are the little ice cream dots imagine dots like that but it wasn't ice cream but if it maybe was dough so imagine really 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 tiny little dumpling balls in like i don't know chicken broth that is what i was eating for breakfast lunch and dinner so i had that nine times for the first three days right the fourth day when i get this roommate magically in walks this nurse with an ipad Mind you, I haven't seen this type of technology in this hospital since I've been here because my actual patient file is still on paper. It's a manila folder that the doctor is opening, right? But in walks this nurse with the iPad and she's like, okay, I'm here to take your order. You guys, this order. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, what would you like for lunch and dinner tonight? And what would you like for breakfast, lunch and dinner tomorrow? And my jaw was on the fucking floor. I'm like, whoa. We have options. They just been bringing a tray and putting it at the table. Mind y'all, putting it at the table in the room, not even bringing it to my bed. So I still had to get up out of the bed by myself and walk over to the table to go sit down and eat and wheel Zadie across the room with me. Right? Mind you. She's like, oh, well, you know, I've been on vacation and today is my first day back in. And, you know, my colleagues, they're very insecure about their English. A lot of them, their English is not too good. So they just bring you food. And, you know, if you eat it, they think you like it and they keep bringing you back. Y'all, nine fucking meals of just a bottle of water and these little teeny, teeny dumplings in chicken broth. No nothing else. Mind y'all, I'm thinking this is what I'm supposed to be eating because I just had a C-section and I, they don't want me to put nothing heavy in my stomach. And then I get the roommate and in walks the lady with the iPad asking, do I want the beef, the chicken, the turkey? Do I want the tossed salad? Do I want the pasta? Do I want a cookie or brownie for dessert? Literally taking my order for every meal. And I was just like, wow. I had to call Malik. Like, babe, guess what? There's a menu. There's a food menu. I get to choose. And he was like, well, where the fuck they been the past three days? And I'm like, I don't know. So, again, I can't say that I was getting the treatment I was getting because of the color of my skin. But I think it's real convenient that when I got a roommate that was a different complexion, the type of treatment that was happening was totally different than the first three days when I was in that room by myself. And I think that's just one of the ways, even though I'm in a whole nother country, black women in the medical system, like we, we are literally disregarded. We're taught to just thug it up. Y'all be all right. Y'all have handled worse than this. I feel like that's how they feel. Like that's how I felt. I watched them nurses cater to that girl my last two days, y'all. And it just made me so sick because I'm just like, wow. They're helping her out the bed. I shouldn't have even, and I know some of y'all are going to be like, well, did you ask for help? I don't think I should have had to. I got my abdominals cut open, okay? Cut open. Nobody came to check that I was moving my bowels and using the bathroom properly, making sure they put shit back where it's supposed to go. But three nurses came and helped this girl out the bed and helped her walk to go pee. 
It's crazy. And I think that's when I realized no matter where I am, they're going to treat me like a black woman. And I don't know why I expected any differently. But here in Italy, they're so big on family and babies. Oh, they love the black babies, y'all. Because the nurses would just come in and just, oh, Savion. That's how they pronounced his name. Savion. Like, they would come. I guess I was the only black girl that delivered that week. Because they were just like, ooh, chocolate baby, chocolate baby. But nobody gave a flying F about how his mom was doing. You know? And when it was time to get discharged, I was just ready to go. Get me and my baby up out of here. And that's what happened. On the fifth day, I was discharged and I got to go home. Mind you, my roommate, because she had a vaginal delivery, she actually got to go home the same day as me. So mind you, I spent five days in the hospital. She spent two. Being catered to at that. And that's my birthing story. It's completely, absolutely, 100%, nothing like what I was expecting it to be. But, I mean, it's mine. It's unique, I guess. Me and my son are completely healthy. So that's literally all that matters. But I honestly cannot wait to have my second baby in the States because I know, I know, y'all, I know the treatment's going to be similar as far as, you know, me being black. But it's going to feel like I'm giving birth at the Ritz-Carlton. AC, food menu, TV, cable, like, what? I didn't have any of that shit with my first one. And I think that just goes, I just got to chop that up to cultural differences. But nothing that I got with my birthing story is what I expected. But then again, I always expected to deliver in America with my family, not during a pandemic. So... What can I do, right? With that being said, we're going to wrap it up with our word of the week. This week's word is going to be adapt. Because that's what I had to do. I had to adapt my birthing plan to fit the current circumstances. I had to adapt it to what was best for my baby, what was best for me. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. I know I'm a Virgo and I'm just, you know, like I like to be organized, but... I can't be the only one that, you know, likes things a certain way and has trouble adapting when things don't go that way. So if you're one of those people, just try to be more adaptable. Adapt to your surroundings and just go with the flow. It's something that I'm learning, something that I'm working on, and something that I want y'all to work on too. And on that note, if you made it this far, thank you for just rocking with me, kicking with me, chopping it up with me, all of that. I appreciate each and every one of y'all. The love, the support, it never goes unnoticed or unappreciated. And if you want to join the conversation in real time and share your personal thoughts and opinions, make sure you follow me on Instagram at the.melanatedmindset. That's where I'm going to be posting all the polls, the questions, the conversation starters, all of that. That's also going to be where you'll get to hear sneak peeks and previews into the episodes to come. It's going to be one hell of a ride. I hope y'all are ready. Until then, I'll see y'all same time, same place next week for hashtag Melanated Monday. And remember, the goal is to be good and do good. Until then, peace, y'all.